Please note the content discussed in this episode may contain sensitive topics and themes. The topics of mental health, women's health, and suicide may be triggering for some individuals. Please seek professional help if needed and if in any distress. This episode also contains adult language and explores sensitive content. We aim to approach these with empathy and respect. The views and opinions expressed are solely ours. They should not be considered as professional advice unless explicitly stated. Please proceed with your own discretion. So we've all been there. Waves of sickness, having no motivation, crying uncontrollably or not feeling anything at all, acting impulsively and or finding unhealthy ways to numb the incessant pain. Some days are easier than others, but on the hard days, you forget those even exist or ever will again. Could you even imagine if we roamed around all day looking on the outside the way we feel on the inside? People walking around all broken and then being told just to suck it up and smile? For so many of us, specifically in the black and brown community, the struggle is real. Welcome to another episode of Ride or Die from Teens to Prosecco Queens, the podcast where all you badass queens and kings who support us go to learn, grow, heighten, and enlighten. I am your host, Teresa, and today I have the utmost privilege to introduce my guest, who is a remarkable individual and a real queen. Please help me in welcoming Raquel to the show. Raquel holds a special place in my heart as one of my closest friends and soul sisters since we met in Catholic school in the Bronx as children. Raquel has been an unwavering support system for me and my family, and we have spent thousands of hours of our lives together laughing, crying, and at times doing a little arguing. For over two decades, Raquel has worked tirelessly serving the Department of Education in New York City, specifically in the South Bronx, as an elementary school teacher. Her unwavering spirit, dedication, and compassion is definitely a blessing to all of the young minds who have crossed her path. Raquel has seen and experienced her share of inequities in the system and how falling through the cracks happens way too often and how the importance of having the right systems in place can combat those inequities. Raquel, please introduce yourself because I know there's a lot that I miss there. <laughs> Thank you so much, Teresa. Yes, hello, everyone. This is my first time on a podcast, and I have to say I do feel a little nervous, but really excited. <laughs> I am an avid podcast listener, so this is really, like, cool for me. Um, So, yeah, I've known UT for, God, like, what, 30 years? 30 years, yeah. Yeah, which Over is 30 insane years. That, that, God, I feel old. Um, <laughs> yeah, we look good, girl. <laughs> we look good. We look good. <laughs> Um, thank you for that beautiful intro. Uh, so yes, I taught in the South Bronx for many, many years. I have the privilege of now coaching teachers throughout the Bronx, specifically the West part of the Bronx, think Yankee Stadium, that area, High Bridge, um, which is also considered, you know, a very low income, right, right. high poverty, a lot of people who are on drugs, a lot of shelters. So I have seen the gamut of the devastation here in the Bronx. Um, it's been it's been a very difficult but rewarding career. And I hope that I can continue to serve the community that I live in and that I love. So that's my intro. (laughs) And I can see it being rewarding specifically because it's 
you know, sometimes I think that sometimes that one out of 10 makes you go, this is worth it. I could even yeah. imagine if it was even, even if it was just one out of 10, one out of 15, I could just imagine that seeing that change and watching these kids grow up. Oh yeah. I have students that are adults with their own kids now and it's incredible. I have also had parents who are just came in as immigrants, don't speak English and tell me, you know, I see you and I envision my kid being able to do what you do being that i'm a first generation born latina woman i know most exactly. importantly by the way <laughs> yes most importantly i most forgot importantly, to mention we forgot that. to mention that uh and i am fully bilingual which i'm very proud of now i don't think i was when i was younger i was uh, ashamed of speaking the language and now i'm like thank god my parents enforced that on me because it wasn't my choice <laughs> i remember that when we were younger uh, yes you, you it was embarrassing yes. i hated it i was so embarrassed and now i'm like wow i i am just i feel very fortunate that i speak the language but yeah um it's what keeps me going it's what keeps me motivated is, is serving the people that mirror who i am i can really connect with people in that way and that's something that you can't learn right it's yeah. it's an experience and so my life has been of service to others really and sometimes it's hard to believe I'm going on my 18th year doing that yeah wow I was thinking about that the other day I was like wow it's been close. so 18 makes sense because I was thinking it's like 20 yeah. but no it's it's close to 20 years because I remember when you got your when you got your degree of sorts you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Raquel is also a what I love to say um a lifelong student herself yeah yes yeah I one of of the things that I love is learning it's I'm like a I don't want to say a nerd but kind of because I'm really into just constantly learning things I know all all kinds of useless information I love it right now I'm currently obsessed with everything artificial intelligence and aliens but that's always been the case that's always been now, the case. that's always been the case but now it's like real. everyone talks about it and it's, it's like real and it's here <laughs> I feel like I'm in a matrix because people are like especially us millennials were like well okay there's aliens but I I still have student debt and I got to pay this bill. Amen. So it's like, okay, <laughs> I've been waiting for this my entire life and everybody's acting like it's nothing. And I'm like, pissed. it's nothing. <laughs> I'm over here, like, come and take me away. Yes, like, take yes. me away. But yeah, I am a lifelong learner and I do enjoy school, which is weird. People mostly don't, um, but school is way too expensive. That's a whole other topic here in America. A whole other topic. That's a show in itself. Yeah. Yes, it is. Raquel is here for a very specific reason, too. Mm -hmm. Not just because I love her, because I do. She's my sister. But that is to discuss the plight of mental health in our Black and Brown community how our own mental health has been challenging through the years, how the educational system fails to spot these signs at a young age and doesn't have the resources available to tackle, to tackle these issues, the stigma around getting the help we all need, and if there is any hope on the horizon for all of us and for our younger children. In a world where discussions surrounding mental health are gaining momentum, it's crucial to shine a light on the unique challenges faced by Black and Brown individuals. Mental health struggles affect everyone, but the narrative varies across different communities. Did you know that depression and anxiety are often experienced at higher rates among Black and Brown individuals? And we are trained to feel embarrassed and ashamed by very real afflictions. Sadly, the legacy of silence surrounding mental health has left an indelible mark on us. For many, seeking help has been a sign of weakness, and the mere act of acknowledging mental struggles has been buried under layers of societal expectations and cultural norms. We're also going to dive into the notion of mental health as a luxury within colored communities. Mm -hmm. For far too long, the pursuit of mental well-being has been considered a privilege reserved for those who have the time, 
resources, and support. So if you happen to hear our episode with Diane, which was a couple episodes ago, and if you haven't, you should go listen. We talked about how the stigma and abuse from generational trauma manifests itself in all areas of our life until we learn to break the cycle of shame instilled in us. Raquel is here to expand on that convo because we know in the Brown community, mental health, abuse, and trauma are taboo topics and not discussed. And we are trying to break those ideas. And I think Raquel, starting with that, we know specifically that we have our own stories of mental health struggles since we're little. And, and I say little, meaning mine started when I was about 13 and did not know what it was. There was no explanation for it. There was, you're crazy. You know, mm-hmm. I, I remember our eighth grade teacher, I didn't sleep for, I hadn't slept for about a week from my anxiety it was so bad. I wasn't eating at all because I was, t- I had, it became health anxiety. It was so bad and nobody knew what was wrong with me. Doctors just kept saying, eh, she's just, maybe she's allergic to something. But so, I remember. Yeah. And that terrified me to eat anything. I was so skinny. I was like, I wasn't sleeping. I was skinny. I looked like a skeleton. My eyes were all sunken in. It was terrible. And our eighth grade teacher said to me, um, do I have to worry about you? Do I have to call your parents? And I was like, no, it's okay. Because I remember thinking my parents knew, but nobody knew what was wrong with me. I didn't know. I was terrified to sleep. I was terrified to eat. I had no idea what was going on. And this just manifested itself in so many different ways. And this went on for throughout my entire teenage years. You know, um, I'll never forget. My dad said to me specifically one day, he said, am I going to have to put you in the nut house? Mm-hmm. I was 14. Yeah. You know, I didn't know that I was having anxiety and panic attacks, that that was my body's reaction. Not till I was damn near 40 did I go, oh, shit, maybe it's because At that time, they're telling me I'm moving to New Jersey. I'm moving out of the school I know, my friends, my life, my whole family, everything that I know is being moved out of from what I was raised in. The unknown. That's going to give you freaking anxiety, right? Of course Absolutely. But that wasn't a thing when we were younger. There was no such thing now as as a panic attack back then. And what was anxiety? I don't even recall that word. Right, right. I I don't even remember it being used. Right. It wasn't. And it was this never is... a thing that they told me either. And they said, oh, maybe it's a no. panic attack. Now you go in and go, oh, I'm thinking of having a heart attack. Nah, it's just a panic attack. You're good. Mm-hmm. Back then it was a thousand tests. Oh, she's fine. She's just making it up. We have the language now, which is so yes. incredible. And that's something that I admire about the youth. Sounds so old yet again. The but it's youth, true though. The youth. <laughs> they they know. They, exa- they know exactly the ter- they know the terminology. Everything. They, they connect with their feelings. I'm just like so inspired by them, honestly, because I still struggle with being as open. And I think that I'm pretty open. But even then, I feel like young people are really paving the way. Yes. Um, and that's I'm I'm really excited to see what this generation, the youth, again, anyone under 21, the youth, right? Yes. What they're going to do with that, because they they're really motivated to to change. And to like, they have compassion, they have like, I don't know, people say a lot of things about the youth, but being that I am in quote, the worst of the worst, I guess, I see also the best of the best in that, right? There's lightness in the shadow. And if we don't have hope for the youth, we might as well just say, all right, let's end it it all now. Exactly. (laughs) We have have to, we have to, exactly. Um, So that makes sense in what you're saying too. You know, when I think about Natalie and her generation, I think a lot of it has to do with social media, right? Because it has that good and that bad, but it's that being able to feel like you're not alone. 
Right. The connection. The connection. Holy crap. Somebody in a whole nother country is feeling this. Somebody who could be right next door is feeling this. You know, I don't have to feel that this is um a stigma on me. You know what I mean? It's still, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's still moments where you feel shame as yourself because you go, why is this happening to me? Right. right. You know, as an adult, when I have an, a panic attack, anxiety attack, and then it turns into that health anxiety, which used to be called hypochondria. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Yes. Absolutely. It used to be like, oh, you're a hypochondriac. And it's like, no, but this is my body actually reacting, you know? Right. So when you don't know what's going on with you, you're going to think you're dying. You're going to think everything is a thing, right? And it's just some people are, and I'm going to, I'm going to say this with air quotes, luckily, lucky enough <laughs> to not go to the health anxiety. Cause that is, that is the devil. I, I, when I tell you there were days that I'd be on my hands and knees crying and praying to God to stop it mm-hmm. because I, my brain, I felt like I was losing my mind, yeah, you, were you know, spiraling, spiraling. Mm-hmm. It was that bad because I couldn't stop what was going on. And it took a lot of grounding to be able to, you know, to really do that. So it's like, there's so many techniques now. And because of that, I think people now kids now specifically into adults now can say, these are techniques I have, I can use to stop this. I can feel better about this. I know what triggered me. Right. The fact that they use that language or say, oh, you're being toxic to me, or you Mm -hmm. are not doing this or that. I mean, I can't imagine a world where, imagine if we would have had that opportunity to speak like as frankly to our parents. I mean, my mom, my parents are boomers. Okay. They are immigrant boomers. You know, my My mom had me when she was older and the mentality is be grateful. Don't complain. And just, you know how good, you know how good you have it. You know how exactly all the time. So you live with a constant, you're you're living in a state of smallness. Yes. Right. Let me not take up emotional space. Let me not take up physical space. Let me minimize myself. Yeah. Right. Because that's that's how I know I grew up. I know many millennials grew up like that's that. That's how we grew up. That's exactly how we grew up. Not yeah. the youth. It's they're out here and it's incredible. But yeah, I want to say in terms of my experience being um, a first generation born person here in the States, I start I, I remember beginning to struggle with anxiety at the age of like nine. That's when it started for mm-hmm. me. And it happened, I remember, you know, we went to Catholic school yeah. and I would be like, why don't my parents ever come to church? I just remember oh. they never wanted to go to church. And I'd be like, okay, but we're supposed to be going to church. All my friends are going, this is a thing. And I remember I asked my parents, hey, can we go to church on Sunday? I think it wasn't even so much the spirituality, but because, you know, the group thing to do, of like, course. oh, of your course. friends are going and their parents. And I wanted to be down with that. And I'll never forget, my mom was like, I'm not going to no church. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, why? And she's like, I don't believe in any of that. I just send you to that school. You're lucky you get to go to that school for that education and discipline. (laughs) And and my dad, like, he was like, oh, there's no heaven or hell. What are they (laughs) teaching you? There's reincarnation. Maybe I was your mother or, or your husband in a past life. How do you say that to a nine-year-old that's been indoctrinated in Catholicism right? and then say, oh, I could have been your husband? Like, what? (laughs) I'm here thinking, okay, we're going to go to heaven. I'm going to see my parents and my family and friends. And they're like, sorry to break your bubble, but no, it's an endless cycle of death and pain and coming back to this (laughs) shithole. And that's really when it begins. And I can see how that would trigger anxiety. <laughs> like, what do you 
mean? And so <laughs> I I will never forget. And I was just like, oh, so this is all meaningless. I remember feeling ap- apathetic about life for like yeah. two months. I was like, if I'm just going to come back, then what's the point? Right. And and I want my mommy to be my mommy. I want my dad to be my dad. Of I don't want to be... I don't want to be his his wife one day or his friend or his right, dog. There was no way to explain that a little bit better. No, it was just very thrown at me. My mom at least didn't go there. She was just like, ah, I don't, I mean, this is not my thing. But my dad had to be so extra with it. But anyway, that's when the anxiety began. I remember specifically, and I was nine years old. I remember. And I was just like, wow, this is crazy. And also, just to be frank about everything, a lot of mental health and illness runs in my family, like legitimately, um, including suicides on both parts yeah, for my mom and my dad. Before, yeah, yeah. Sure. so it's like I didn't find out about certain things until I was much older. They sheltered me from that. Um, but I just remember thinking to myself, I'm not supposed to talk about this. Oh, yeah. I cannot bring this up. This is like the worst thing I could do. And the only time I remember my father crying would be missing his parents would be like if he was drinking you know Mm -hmm. he had to be intoxicated like he would never show quote weakness that's right my mom I never saw my mom crying she was a hard ass so was mine hard ass yeah and my mom went through it in her life through it she's been on her own since she was 17 my father 16 so for them they're like the hell are you what what do you mean like you you can't have anxiety that's right I didn't know what was wrong with it and me my my coping mechanism was overeating Mm. overeating Yep. And just um, it was I, I just remember having insomnia, mm-hmm. um, not knowing that 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 was insomnia. Right. That's right. And always trying to do something to be distracted, whether that be television or the radio, um, being with people like I couldn't stand my thoughts. I couldn't stand that just being like that was not it for me. So I journaled a lot. Then, of course, unfortunately, but fortunately, whatever depends on your perception. I got my period when I was 11 (laughs) and it's been hell since now, but (laughs) at 40, I can still say it's been a fucking disaster for me. Um, My hormones went crazy and unbeknownst to me I struggle with PMDD which is premenstrual dysmorphic disorder and it is like PMS on steroids yeah. Um, and I have also and I say I have because it's not something that just goes away you know right. I have major depressive disorder and also anxiety so I began medication a year and a half ago and I say very proudly now because for a long long time I thought about it and anytime I would mention it to like my mom just to see what she would say she would get angry with me I could see that yeah, I didn't understand. She'd be like, what are you depressed about? Yeah. There would be times where I just remember feeling like the weight of the world. And and because I am a learner, because I like to know everything that's happening a little bit too much. Of course, I was cons- consumed with climate change. Remember, I became vegetarian because of yes. the animals. I lo- forget it. When forks over knives came out, I was... <laughs> Do you remember, and this is a real real quick caveat, because I was at your house, we were about 14, Mm -hmm. and we saw the Oprah about mad cow disease. Girl, I didn't eat beef for 15 years. Yep. 15 years after that. Wow. It actually probably was good that you didn't. 
for your heart, for your that, heart health. That but reminded, damn, but you, that you believe just that? reminded me of that. It was Not that you. thing where we do, yes, where we OD. <laughs> it's the next level. That's what I'm saying. There's no chill. There's no in between. There's no in between. Right. I was losing my shit at a very long, young age, and it just got worse when I got my period because my hormones are dysregulated. I have something wrong in my brain where in my hormones that still to this day, scientists, doctors, whatever, they don't even understand PMDD that well. Of course not. Just like, en- just like endometriosis, just like all of PCOS, women's. Yes, all of it. Anything yes. that we have hormonal, they have no freaking know. clue about. They don't know. And I did all the holistic things. I really did. I I tried it all. I'm not even going to get into it because I'm not a medical doctor, practitioner, and um, we're not going to get ourselves in trouble here. But <laughs> I am currently on Zoloft. And let me tell you, I am, I am still a person that struggles with anxiety. I have sad spells, but I no longer have the suicidal ideation. I don't ruminate. I don't have like the crazy insomnia like I used to. And I can't believe that it took me this long in my life to finally accept being on medication. And it was because of the shame. That's what it is. I felt guilty. I felt guilty. Yeah. And I am privileged to have health insurance because I work for the city. That's right. And I cannot imagine all of the barriers that a lot of people have just to see a doctor. You know what it is? Forget medication. It's no secret in the brown community that mental health checkups, mental health well-being is considered a luxury instead mm-hmm. of a necessity. Oh, yeah. It feels like a luxury. Getting somebody to talk to me, even like a therapist, I had to have a nurse practitioner. I didn't even know how to do all of that just to get medication. Right. And it was like so hard just to get to speak to someone that's licensed and knows what they're talking about and who believed me when I told them because that's another thing that's something I've talked about a bunch of times in these episodes is that exact thing Mm -hmm. is people to believe you you're lucky if you get that one person that says I've heard this before I know about this I hear you I'm listening let's figure this out it's so rare it's God bless the doctor that helped me that day that said amen "You, you deserve to be on medication he said I deserve it and I that's amazing right it was That's beautiful. Amazing. And so now I advocate for that. And and yeah, sometimes people look at me like, oh, she's again, quote, a loony or she's weak. You know, we all that stigma still comes with it. I personally feel that there's so much strength and beauty and vulnerability. And I think that yeah. I'm really lucky to be in a space where I can speak my mind to friends, family and not be ashamed anymore because I was, I was feeling like less than I felt, man, I can't believe that I had to take this route. And of course, my anxiety brain was looking up at all of the side effects, and all of of the negatives. I was fighting myself not to take it. I know. Fighting myself. And then the doctor was like, that's exactly why you need it. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, you're right. I read a quote and and it says this, it says for most first generation brown parents, mental health. And by the way, let's not just say first generation because my parents are not first generation. And it's, this is the same, this goes exactly with what I was saying about my dad earlier and my parents, when it came to therapy, it says mental health is related to damaging films like silence of the lambs or split, or even the Joker movies that showcase mental health issues through people that are dangerous, that are crazy, that Mm -hmm. are murderers. 
murderers. They do not see that mental health is something everyone has, that everyone must take care of the way we all have to cut our nails, eat food, eat, eat food. I'm saying it like it's two different, <laughs> eat food, shower, the way we all have to sleep at night. And they cannot imagine that um, their own feelings, the emotions they dealt with as children and now as adults could ever be something as severe as depression or anxiety. And I Absolutely. thought that was crazy because that's exactly, we and we lived it in, again, two separate households. And think about this on top of that. Me and you grew up together. Mm-hmm. We didn't know that each other was struggling. No, because how do you talk about that? Right. And you feel, again- You're so embarrassed. I thought nobody will yes. ever know what I'm going through. This makes me sound crazy. If my parents think I'm crazy, obviously my friends are going to think I'm crazy and I cannot be cast out by my friends by being the crazy girl. Right. You never knew about my anxiety at nine years old and why did not happen. Nope. Did not. No. No. And, and it's so, so sad that so many of us experience it at such a young age and we don't know what to call it and we don't feel safe enough to go to adults. Right. Because it's very much the you're to be seen and not heard. And I grew up with that. Like, right. You don't talk about your feelings. You don't express them in that way. It was like, you need to do well in school so that you can do well in life and yes. whatever, whatever, you know, the American dream, yes. whatever, yes. you don't know, whatever that is. Um, it was always take care of yourself physically, you know, don't right. get yourself up too soon. All those things that oh, yeah. we ended up doing anyway. The virginity. Now, the virgi- <laughs> I look back now and I'm like, yo, all of that was trauma responses. Oh, absolutely. Everything that we, every way we acted out, everything that we did was trauma responses. And we grew up in Catholic school. And don't get me wrong. You know what they say about Catholic school girls. But however, regardless of that, I know I can say I lived up to that. You not so (laughs) much, actually. Unfortunately, unfortunately, (laughs) I wasn't very proud of it. I I laugh now when I think about it, but I'm like, oh my God, like, what was I thinking? But it's because I was raised in a, in a, where there was no connection. So you kind of crave connection and you, you want that attention and connection any way you can get it. I know now how unhealthy that is, but it took me 20 something years to figure that out and a shitload of therapy that I paid for. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that. And and again, I'll say I paid for, but I was blessed to have health insurance to pay for where a lot of people do not have that. Um, my parents, even if they had, even they had insurance when we were younger, I don't know if therapy was on that. It would never have been a thing. I think even covered on insurance when we were younger. Never even ask that. I would be like, I no. would I, no, never. Um, yeah, and the whole thing with the that mentality of sleeping around was so bad. And I, I personally don't judge it because I find that sex is a very natural thing. I just think that right. you have to be careful with your energy and protect oh. your energy. That's my whole thing. No, but agreed. you know, we've had those conversations. Oh mm-hmm. my God. Yes. Yes. I, I think that the reason why I wasn't out there like that during my young years is because I was involved in a very abusive relationship, a very yes. controlling relationship, which that's a whole other episode I am assuming. Um, <laughs> and that also didn't help my mental health. Right. Uh, so that's pretty much why I was kind of quote, you know, a good girl, but really I was involved in a very terrible long-term relationship, as you know, Yes, you I know, know. I very know. emotionally abusive, physically abusive. Uh, it was just, it was awful. And so I didn't realize it at the time, of course, but now as an adult, I'm like, wow, that was, that was intense. And you think that you just have to get over things, right? And you just uh-huh. move on, but your body keeps the score to trauma. Yes, it does. 
Your body keeps that. People with serious mental health issues are at higher risk for chronic physical conditions uh, for a variety of reasons. It could be inability to take care of yourself. The idea that the feeling of being sick leads to actual sickness as well right? So there's so many different things, the stress and trauma, what it does to your cells. I've said this so many times in other episodes, they stay change you on a cellular level. Yes, it does. Stress and trauma cause so much damage to your body that not that, not that there are things that don't cause external damage. We understand, we know that, but having consistent, consistent trauma to your cells change you change your DNA, change who you are and give, and and you have so many chronic illnesses, diabetes, heart disease, strokes, heart attacks, things that over the years compound and compound and compound from all of the stress and trauma that you don't even realize what you're doing to your body. And some things are just, you're not able to control, right? Like when you're in an abusive relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, and as a kid, it's horrific because your brain is not even developed enough to know until you're an adult what's going on. So right then and there, it's like you stop developing mentally right then and there. Correct. First time you have sex, you stop, you stop developing mentally. The first Mm -hmm. time you take a drink of alcohol, you stop developing. The amount of things that cause your brain to stop developing on these levels. And then all of that travels through your entire life and, you know, through, and it's how we take the steps to notice, you know, not to mention things like PMDD. That is literally not some, that's not your fault. That is, it could be in your bloodline. Right. And that's, and then, you know, like you said, I want to piggyback off of that concept of DNA and how it changes. I do believe that that's why there are generational quote curses or trauma. Mm-hmm. It, it is passed down and that's energetic. That's not just, yes. it's physical as well. Yes. Um, yes. And that's why they say we have to do our healing, not just for ourselves, but also for our ancestors. I really believe that. I read that. Yes. Yeah. That's beautiful. It is. Yes. I, I think about that. And, you know, not to get all spiritual in this episode, but. Oh, no, please. That's <laughs> it's 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 been a lifelong journey to finding myself through understanding what my ancestors went through my grandparents that committed suicide my family that have mental illness not just had but have and connecting with them in a way where I said to myself I don't have to feel ashamed because of that and I send them so much light and so much love and I think about them in a way where I can honor them and the way that I can honor them is by taking my medication yeah is by talking about it is by living my life each day with purpose and grounding myself each day like a job it's not like every day is going to be a happy day, but every day is a purposeful day. Every day is a good day, even on your worst day. And so that's my way of honoring them. And also just thinking to myself, how can I help others that experience the same thing? Right. And it's by talking about it and being very honest. So, right. And that's what our ancestors would have wanted, right? That's the whole yeah. point. They want you to do better. They want each generation to do better and hopefully get it right. Because at those times, mm-hmm. nobody, ta- not only just didn't talk about this stuff, nobody knew about anything about this stuff. This was just no. life. It was like, you dealt with it. You suffered through it. And if you were lucky enough to have an, a long, lucky, lucky enough. Oh, well, English is escaping me. <laughs> but if you were lucky enough to live a long life, that was a blessing. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of how hard it was, it was a blessing. Food. Yeah, that's it. It's There's- like now we strive for more. We strive for internal happiness. You know what I mean? Versus that ex- those external 
um, factors that we always seem to look for. It's like now we know that mm-hmm. is that internal, that's that real internal happiness. That's what's going to, and whatever, how, in whatever form that looks like, it could be you on your medication and doing for you, putting your priority, you're making yourself a priority. You know, that's what's important for somebody else. It might look something different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I did therapy for a long time and I want to say it helped with me identifying certain things but it wasn't going to help my PMDD. No. And that's and that's something that I had to come to terms with. Um, I realize now more than ever, you don't tell a diabetic not to take insulin. That's right. You don't take somebody with high point. blood pressure not to take their medicine, right? That's right? You are, we as humans, we are susceptible to all kinds of illnesses, but yet mental illness, hormonal, all of that has always been so taboo and it is the foundation of who we are and I just think that there's going to be a point where it's going to be the first thing that we talk about versus just the physical because when you talk to a doctor it's like oh what's ailing you yes and I know sometimes like my doctor um he'll be like oh how are you feeling any depression any very nonchalant like oh have you have you had water today you know right (laughs) it's like uh yeah um, I'm still on my meds. I'm a little better. Okay, great. Right? Like people don't really want to get into it. Um, now is is a time where more people are exploring that, especially in the black and brown community. But there's it's still it's still a stigma, and and I can attest to that being yep. in the schools and seeing the community. I've seen parents who would do very well with having a therapist, having access to just the basics, and it's just not. It's awful the fact that you have to wait four or five months to get seen by any kind of practitioner and then get half-assed treatment because you're on Medicaid. It's just not acceptable. How many, how many people don't die? I had kids, students that their teeth would rot out because they couldn't get an appointment to see a dentist. How do you have 900 kids in the school and one counselor? That's a, that's a damn shame. That's a damn shame. And this is why teachers become the counselors, not just for the children, but also for the parents. Right. And I think that that's why there's so much burnout in the inner cities. People don't realize when you are dealing with so much trauma, a collective, a collective. trauma, yeah, it stays on you. Oh my God. Yeah. It, it sticks to you. I know there would be times where I would come home and I just wanted to sleep and sleep and sleep. You know, you have kids telling you, you know, that kids that are in shelters, children that have been raped, children that the only food that they eat is while they're in in school. school. I would have a little refrigerator and I would put in any extras and then I would put them in their backpack. Kids who, you know, they would come in smelling like weed every morning and they're six years old. It's because their parents, and this is before even the legalization of recreational marijuana. It's about 10 years ago. Yeah. And it's just really, really sad that the the black and brown community, and I want to speak for the Bronx in particular, New York City, it's it's a struggle. And there's so much discrimination. There's so much shame. Um, we're stigmatized. You know, I feel like individuals are very hesitant to seek help openly or even discuss mental health struggles. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So I'm really grateful for this this platform because maybe somebody will hear this and say, well, maybe I can take medication or, you know, there's a lot of, ask for the help. I don't feel right. And, you know, I can't just sleep it off. I can't just shake it off. Right. Mm -hmm. I can't just do the things that I was told as a kid to do. Oh no, you're fine. Just go exercise. Don't get me wrong. You know me, I'm an advocate. I love exercise, right? Exercise helps your mental health and your physical health, but enough. It's not only the thing for everybody, right? There's so many things that 
are going to help one person that may not help the next. And you're never going to know that until you drop that shame of, I need this kind of help. And even if it's not because you're suffering from PMDD or depression, or, you know, I don't suffer from depression on a regular, like clinical depression, but everything that's happened to me in the past two years threw me into a depression. Mm -hmm. The grief it was severe. That's the right. grief threw me into a severe depression to the point that there were moments, and I'm going to be very candid about this. There were moments I would be driving my car and thought of crashing it into a wall. Yeah. And the only thing that stopped me was the thought of my children at home. Yeah. And, and I, it, it was about twice that happened, and I said, "Holy shit." Yeah, it's scary. Real, and this is scary. scary. It's scary. It's scary when your mind goes there, and not just your mind, but your heart, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's because- like a very real thing. There's no, and even me talking to a therapist who's fantastic. And I've talked to different therapists over the years when I felt like I've needed it. Other times I didn't need it. And, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. And I've had people tell me recently, and I know I told you, so I'm not going to say specifically who, but I've had people tell me recently, oh, so you talk to a therapist. This is ignorance. Oh, so you talk to a therapist. So then obviously it's not his problem. It must be your problem. And you must be the one that's sick. No, yeah. I'm the one doing the healing. Correct. I'm in therapy. Why? Because the person who should have gotten the help didn't get the help and now caused me to need extra help. And the thing is, we need community, right? Like that's 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 something we're lacking. I want to say not just in big cities, but throughout the country, like unless you're part of a small town or unless you're like part of a of a of a religious community or you feel safe in some form or another where you can rely on others and be vulnerable we're very much isolated right yes yes. think about you know before it used to be like women were supported they had a tribe of people right they had they had the elders they had this now now what you know you're a mom you know yeah it's hard and most women that I know, they're just like, I wish that I had people to help me like other people. And that's we don't live in that world anymore. No, when they say it takes a village, it really, it really does. Us. And because and it's, it's not so just hard. to raise kids, it's to raise each other. Yes, it's to literally raise physically raise each other energetically raise each other. And you're right, we don't have any of that anymore, where you no. can feel that you not that I don't feel like I have my little tribe of people that I can go to. And like I I said before, and I've told you, I told my sister, I have been blessed that I have had people that have sat and listened to me, including you, scream and cry and the why me's and the God why's. And on top of that, thousands of hours, I did it myself. And we're not just talking about recently, we're talking throughout all the years we've known each other. You know what I mean? Uh, And that we've been able to have each other as a sounding board when we've needed to both do that at times through the happy and the sad and the the frustrating and the funny as hell and all those kinds of things in between. And I think that specifically, there is not enough of that, especially in the black and brown community. And I think a lot of that too, if you notice, there's so much freaking animosity. Yes, the don't trust anyone, no new friends, fuck the haters, like- Yes. It's like, oh my, what haters, number one? And secondly, why are people being like that? Like, I don't understand. I sound like such a hippie, but like. <laughs> You've always been a power child. I've always you know. said that. <laughs> I'm just like, why can't we just all get along? I don't, just, I don't understand. Like, what? I don't understand what jealousy is. I, yeah. I always feel so happy for others when I see yes. someone that maybe looks better than me. I'm just like admiring versus like, ah, I can't stand this person. Right. You know, like I, I don't, I just don't understand where as a whole, as a collective, we've become so cynical yeah. and disassociative. 
So, and that's, that's what it is. And that's what happens in our communities a lot too. In our, in the color communities, because it's about protection. I think a lot of it, you don't tell to, anyone, don't, don't tell no. anyone your stuff. Don't no. air out your dirty Never laundry. Never air out your dirty laundry. Don't trust your friends, only your family, but then that's don't right. trust them either. That's right. Don't let don't, them know that you're doing well. Cause they're don't let be anybody, haters. don't let anybody in your house. Don't, don't you, this is, this is so-and-so <laughs> who's your quote unquote uncle, but yep. don't let them in your house. That's well, right. Around me then. You know what exactly. I mean? It's things like that. It's this constant barrage of, of hypocritical thinking. Yes. Um, and it's, it's always, so it leaves you, it's going to leave you mentally unstable. Yeah. Gonna, because you can't trust anybody. It's chaos. It's complete chaos. chaos. And when you grow up with the idea that you cannot trust people and the first people you can't trust are your parents. That's right. How do you, it's cyclical, right? You just, you're going to be that person. Exactly. There, a lot of these parents that are going through shit, man, it's, they want the best for their kids and they want the best for themselves. Of course. But it's so difficult. And it's, it's not to, not to say that there are folks that aren't, what's the word, deserving or whatever, but that most people are deserving of the help. I really do believe that there's people that don't want the help. So I'm like, like whatever. Yeah. yeah. But there, there are so many people, man, that if you were given the opportunity, they would take it in a heartbeat. Of but, course. But, but, but it's not. I'm and they still be- would feel that shame. They still wouldn't talk about it, yes. but they would take it. Let yes. me ask you your opinion on something, because I don't know that I've ever actually thought about it. We know personally the issues that come with being in the black and brown community as a whole. Just our names alone put a target on us, mm-hmm. right? From everything from resumes to applications for housing or say, or a loan, yeah, right? They look at our me? names and they're like, put that shit aside. We're not going to a Rosario or Soto. Hell no. They're going, mm-hmm. on, the, they're going on the the other pile. You know what and- I mean? So my- I can't put my address on my resume as soon as it says Bronx. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and it doesn't matter that you have freaking two master's degrees. You know what I mean? That shit don't matter. It doesn't even go through that. So my question to you is, why do you, your own personal thought, why do you think the, we'll say Caucasian, but when I say Caucasian, I mean the non- White people. Non- Yes, white people. But I was <laughs> trying to be, I guess I was trying to be a little more, you know why I was saying Caucasian? I was thinking- <laughs> Caucasians come from the land of Caucasus, which is like literally these highlands. Like, thank by you. The, okay, by that's the what stands. Yes. That's what I was thinking because I was trying to think of the best way to say it because uh, I was trying to encompass all the Listen, people that are not black and brown. <laughs> we understand when we meet. Okay, European or 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 European descent. Yes, right. There yes. You go. So yes, because you can be people. white Latino, you could be white like me, Latino, right? Right. You could be white passing, whatever. But we're talking about the European descendants. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So what was my question? That's hysterical. (laughs) No. Okay. So (laughs) I brought the caucus. I started talking about the highlands. I've actually looked it up to see where it is. So why do you think that they don't have the same? Now I got it. Why do you think that they don't have the same or, or that we know of the same type of stigma? around mental health. Now, I know a lot of Italian people and they're very close to Spanish people and they're like, oh no, toughen your ass up. Oh, no way. You you are fine, right? So we know Russian people, ain't, a lot of Russian people ain't walking around thinking they need therapy, right? Um, and again, I'm just talking to people that I've spoken to myself, right? Mm-hmm. In, in certain experiences. So, but is it because they just happen to live in communities, a lot of them, where it's just more accessible? So it's less 
traumatic? Like, what do we think it could be the reasoning behind this? In my opinion, in my humble opinion, it has everything to do with your social class, not so much mm. race. Okay. Yeah. Now, granted, we know that white people in America, their ancestors, not all of them, were the colonizers. That's right. They came here and, you know, whatever. I don't have to give you a history lesson, but once some people can use it <laughs> or some people could use it, but that doesn't come free. <laughs> um, look it up. <laughs> look it up. That's right. <laughs> I am um, thinking to myself, established white people and not just white people, but think about the established people. It, it all comes down to money and education. A lot of white people in this country who have been here for generations are established. True. And true. you know that someone from Portugal or Italy or whatever, when they're first generation, they're very different three, four generations later. You become very Americanized. Yes, I even feel Americanized now. Oh. When I when oh, I yeah. go to to my my father's country, my mother's country, I have a connection, but it doesn't even feel like it's my own. So yeah. I could imagine a few generations after you just you're American, you're established. That's me. You're, that's you me. know, right. It's a, it's a different situation. So a lot of white people, because they have had the advantage, the financial, the housing advantage, the education advantage, they don't have as much trauma. The generational wealth. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about a black family, a Latino family, an Asian family, whatever, that has had the same privileges, they too won't have all of these issues. This comes down to class and poverty right. education. Yeah. And of course, we know that the people who are poor tend to be the people of color. Now, right. you talk to white people in Appalachia, you talk to people in the South, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, you don't you don't understand. It's the same exact thing. It has yes. to do with class. It has to do with education, yes. right? And so that's something that I want to say as I've gotten older, I've understood. Unlike before, I was very much like, oh, it's just us that are suffering. But I don't, I've been living in a bubble in a way, right? Like I don't see a lot of poor white people or uneducated white people because I'm in New York City. And I'm and, here in Jersey and we sure as right, hell don't see that. Right. But guess what? When you go to the South, yes. when you go to the Midwest. Yeah. They are, be they're so poor, so much poorer. Yes. They are poorer than like yes. anything we've ever seen. Exactly. And they too struggle with all of this. It's the yeah. same thing. And so I'm opening up my mind to the idea that yes, racism is real. Yes, there's been so much that has happened in this country that's unfair. And we continue to feel the pain of that. But just by us becoming educated and doing the work, we're starting to level the playing field. We are becoming very much like the quote unquote white people that have been here for a long time. Right, we just now granted, catch up. right, it takes a long time because guess what? A, a white family, they had the, and again, when I say white, I'm talking about the people yeah. that have been here a while, who are educated, have good jobs, live in right. suburbs or whatever. Yes, they established. Established. They exactly. have had the opportunity to save up for their kids' college. So guess what? If I'm a kid and I'm living this life, I get to go to a nice suburban school. Um, I have my friends. Yeah, I have my own shit to deal with because that's part of the human experience. We don't we all suffer from something. And I go to college, I come out, I have zero debt. My dad works with these people. I'm connected. There's networking. Mm. Then it's like, oh, nobody handed anything to me. But you already started off yeah. at a better place. 
unlike many of us who we started off at zero. And right. so it's like we're playing catch up. But generations from now, I'm, I'm starting to see so many people of color just like doing the damn thing. And I realized like, wow, things are getting better. It's still shameful. This country is shameful, in my opinion, oh, for it is. For so what we've it, had what those it conversations in depth, like, yes, for sure. But it, it comes down to that. That's that's what I'm thinking. So what role do you think education can play in bridging that gap? <laughs> well, I honestly believe that schools need to be more community based, meaning that they need to reach out to the actual community, like all the mm-hmm. business owners, the really like there's such a disconnect, right? Schools are supposed to be a haven where children, parents can come and not just learn, but also find camaraderie, do things together, right? Understand each other. And in the black and brown communities, you don't see that as much. And why don't you see that as much? Because when you're impoverished or you don't speak the language or you feel less than, of course. you're not showing up. No. You're, you know, you, ha- you have other fish to fry. You're thinking about getting food on the table. You're thinking about housing. You're thinking about all other things and, and just the lack of education. You can't do better if you don't know any better. That's right. And so it really comes down to helping parents and connecting with them. And I really believe that the best way to connect with people is by having people from the community who have, quote, made it connect with those parents. And I find that one of the one of the most incredible things that I have done in my career has been able to connect with troubled families, help them, and they feel like they can trust me. Earning people's trust is a gift. And how how did I do that? Because I'm I understand the community because I am part of the community and we've lost that. You have, you were raised in the community. Yeah. You have people with, you know, who are afraid and don't know how to connect culturally, economically. And that's problematic. Visibility is important. And, you know, people don't want to hear that. They're like, Oh, it doesn't matter what color or whatever. You're right. It doesn't, it has to do with experience. And if I'm a white person from, I don't know, Idaho, that's lived in a rural area and I come and I teach in the Bronx, you know how hard it is for me to connect if like I've had a very different experience. Now I'm not saying that you can't connect. I don't, I'm not saying that. I mean, we all saw a dangerous mind. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and even me, I've always taught in the inner city. I don't know what it's like to teach in an affluent neighborhood. Of course. I'd probably be a fish out of water. They would love you. They would love you. I don't know. They would love you. They'd be like, this is wow. Um, so I, I do believe that some of the factors include creating community um, and having like social services accessible to the schools so that it's like a point of interest. And that's right? not so hard to reach. Those social right. services are so and, and it's every that's everywhere. And I can even tell you that from personal experience, mm-hmm. me even now dealing with certain social services that you're like, why are these not accessible for anybody? There's like it's all schools should have nurses and doctors and dentists and places yes. where parents could go for um, understanding curriculum, understanding oh, yes. parenting, even parent like there parent be, classes. Oh, yes, education for the parents. Yes, we are not born knowing everything. No, and because we don't have um, the tribes 
that we used to have back in the day where everybody lived together it was the grandmother, the mom, the aunts, everybody was together, like protecting each other and helping each other. Right. It's not like that anymore. Everybody has you to know, work. Do you know when they make you take a parenting class is when you and your spouse went through a divorce? That's sad. That's when you're required for the most part to take a parenting class. Don't you think that that should have been something done before? before preventative we yes. need preventative preventative care physical yes. and mental addressing the cultural context looking for mental health professionals and and fostering like an inclusive understanding you know and and just really connecting with the experiences of black and brown community what honestly about, what about education itself is there a way that education itself can be maybe tailored to better address specific needs or mental health to begin with right because like we were uh -huh. just saying if you teach the more you know the better you do so even starting kids at a young age and saying listen you know maybe not just health class right maybe you know because health class is kind of like oh here's your toe you know if it hurts that kind of thing right yeah. like on a basic level you know is yes is it something to that it can be tailored in the curriculum to draw yes. more attention to it so I could proudly say that at least the Department of Education in New York City is a very progressive uh, educational platform because we do something called social emotional learning that's now in the curriculum and embedded in all schools they're and, doing that here in Jersey as well I'm so some, happy to hear that and it's something that started right before the pandemic from my experience, and I see such a tremendous change. There's also mindfulness that children are doing in schools. There are just various um, books and resources that people are talking about in your morning circle. Every single day, oh. starting in pre-K and 3K, you get to tell your classmates and your teacher how you're feeling that's amazing like and 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 not be shamed for it you're sad and then you can explain why and sometimes there won't be a solution but you get to express yourself and you're valid and that's something that in my 18 years this is very recent we yes. have literal books tailored to that where if a child is grieving for the loss of a loved one depending on their age there's a book for that and you put like it's it's incredible now a lot of people are about this progressive education they're like oh that should be put on the parents but they they're not they're not doing that not and, they, many of and them they can't do what they don't know either right we exactly. are exact examples of that yes we need like content that's relevant relatable respectful to cultural norms and values that's what this this new approach is and you know they want to call it the woke curriculum or whatever but honestly I want to call it the humanitarian curriculum because it's addressing so much more than just okay now you're going to read and write here's your, te your, your state yeah. test and it's so much more it's so much deeper and I am very proud of it I am so proud of how progressive has become granted we're worlds away from it being perfect of we don't course. have the funding but every teacher that i know and i visit plenty of schools they're all trying their best to implement these um social emotional learning practices to the best of their ability and it even helps them and yeah. so we're yeah. we're becoming aware of the language we have like actual grids with language of feelings and 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 learning how to self-regulate could you that, imagine i have trouble with that still I still have moments where I go, holy yeah. crap, you you really overreacted and yes. you need to learn that. And imagine if we had the tools as kids, the yeah. healthy tools, feel it, 
identify it and let it pass. Correct. In Natalie's school, in my daughter's school, one thing that they started doing, and for the little one too, they have what you're saying. And, you know, in, in my community, it's actually, it used to be predominantly white. It's mm-hmm. not anymore. It's very, very much. It's literally, um, Parsippany is the most diverse in Morris County, one of the most diverse in in all the surrounding areas because everybody's moving here. It's like a little little city itself, you know? Yes. So in the schools, you have first-generation children coming in from every country that speak no English and they're all learning teachings. They're doing, they're doing all of the development that you're talking about as well with the kids because they have an actual class. Like they'll send my, that my son will have to do books that they'll send to read. And in my daughter's in high school, you know, she's specifically, they started just last year or her freshman year implementing days that they can, they can, days that they can take as mental health days in school, Wow, yoga classes, breath work, um, I mean, some stuff that I was like, could you imagine wow. in yoga and gym class? What? Oh my goodness. I would have loved that breath work and meditation. I would have been meditation. Like, that was the other one. Meditation. Yeah. Mindfulness. In the middle yeah. of school. I mean, does my nap in English class not count? <laughs> I guess not. Or staying in the bathroom for a whole period. So you could. <laughs> right. Out while, I'm, while I'm smelling the cigarette exactly. from somebody else. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Yep. Exactly. It's crazy how far it's come and still how far it has to go. And. It's a blessing, I say, to have teachers like you in there doing that hard work because, listen, my kids are hard and that's just two of them. (laughs) I have trouble regulating my emotions, let alone trying to regulate theirs and try not to lose my shit every time they lose their shit. And that's the hard part, right? uh, Yeah, I remember coming home and not having the patience for anyone or anything because I my emotional bandwidth was done because I had to give that to, to the children and to the parents and. And it's not easy. So and that's why I've passed my baton to the next educator now. Mm-hmm. And I help them. I'm like, listen, I find that when I connect to teachers, you know, I don't go in there just, you know, off of college. I go, oh, let me tell you how to do this. No, I've lived it. I've experienced it. And then they're like, oh, OK. Um, but yeah, we need more like comprehensive support, more networks that's going to cater to the diverse population. Um, I remember the first time I was able to bring home a letter in Spanish for my mom when I was in high school. Wow. High school. I went to public high school and, you know, we went to Catholic school when we were younger. And then I ended up going to public school in the Bronx. And it was horrific. Um, Really sad. Like, no, not enough place to like. I passed your high school when I went in the other day. Yep. Yeah, there were 4,000 people at the time. And it was one school. We had the metal detectors. It was like going through TSA before 2001. Mm. We had to take off our shoes, put them in 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 the bin, show our ID and go through metal detectors. And if and we all had to line up and if we didn't make it by the time the the bell would ring, they would shut you out or you would stay in the cafeteria like caged animals and that's where everybody learned how to play cards of course of course you were in juvie and all exactly (laughs) and and the guards would literally sell the kids weed oh god yeah it was like new jack city i'm not gonna lie i mean it was crazy we weren't even allowed to use the lockers we had survival of the fittest yeah i said that has darwinism like yo the 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 weed get weeded the hell out Oh my god. Yeah, man. I mean, and it, and this is walking distance from where I live and I remember to this day I rarely wear red because of all the initiations. That I, remember I remember I stopped taking the bus because I remember people going in with steel toe boots and stomping kids out. Yeah. 
I mean, I've seen it all. I've seen the gamut. I've, you know. I remember seeing a girl get her face slashed when we were about yeah. 14 because that's yeah. what they would do at initiation. They were telling yep. us don't wear red in the trains. It was like, don't put on nothing that's going to, you know, that's going to, that's going to draw attention to you. And it's like, you know, and that's when my parents were like, listen, if we got the means, we got to get you the hell out because it was terrifying. Yeah. It was, it was terrifying to them. And, you know, and in that sense, I remember, you know, my dad, my dad being like, you know, they're raised in the Bronx in the 70s, you know, the 60s and the 70s. Right. And that we know what that was like. Right. Uh-huh, like, uh-huh. And it's like, and then you're still, but then you're like, everything is like we say cyclical, everything comes back around. So even yeah. when things seem kind of chill for a bit, you know, everything comes back around the way it is. And I think that on um, Unfortunately, there's too much still negative stigma around one survival of the fittest, right? Like you got to protect yourself. You got to survive. You got to do what you got to do to survive. And there's not enough, there's not enough um, resources and help to help parents help their kids. You know what I mean? If you're struggling to put food on the table and you're working three damn jobs, your kid is raising themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I am also to just add into that. I think about just culturally speaking, the mentality in New York City, especially when you're from like the hood, Mm-hmm. you know I and I can say that for myself you don't want to come off soft you don't want to be a punk Ooh, you that's right you don't want people to know that you're struggling with something because it could be used against you and forget it especially being a man oh my gosh I can't even imagine how difficult I always say the hardest job in the world in my world is being a man of color in the hood I can't even imagine I like it's it's hard I have so much love for black men I have so much love for my Hispanic men, my brown men, because they really, really feel it. They yeah. can't they can't let down their guards. That's and, exactly it. And yes, yeah. women, we have had societal expectations from the beginning that are just near impossible to live up to. But men now in, in our society, they're going through it too. Yeah. And that's a whole other conversation. And that's a whole other conversation. That's a because whole other conversation. Mental health in the male color community. Yes is and and you know obviously we can't speak from experience in that sense but we come from men of color correct and oh yeah we know how they were raised i mm-hmm. have been married to men of color mm-hmm. i know how and... they've been raised and how they have helped destroy themselves oh absolutely because and... they are men of color <laughs> they will gaslight themselves gaslight themselves destroy themselves yes. self-sabotage yes. themselves correct. and then say what do i do mm-hmm. what happened it's yes. just what I know. It's all that I know. There's nothing right. wrong with that, right? And that's, again, goes all the way back to all of that consistent, consistent bogging people down and trying to keep people down yeah. by not getting them what they need and the help that they need. Man, oh. I, I got to say, I now that I'm like speaking about the progress that I've seen in my career, I'm actually feeling even more hopeful. Like, yeah, things are bad. I'm not going to lie, but there's a lot of good still. And and I do see that children are way more mature and awake than I ever was. Like, forget it. Oh, and yeah, there's for sure. so much more empathetic and caring. Even the, the, the pandemic alone changed humanity and it yeah. changed the hearts of so many people. And it's really the adults that are fucked up. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> it's the adults. Oh, please. And the, all the pandemic did was fuck us up more. Exactly. And make them, and don't get me wrong, and when I say make them better, I mean in certain aspects, because we know it just, right. it had a it had a global impact of hell. But in that sense, it did do a lot of difference to our kids in the way that they, the way they accept 
things in their lives, the way they now can see things in their lives. And it created a vacuum for experiences and for needs that we did not know that they needed either. Like, I guess I'll say TikTok, but I don't mean that they needed that. What I mean is just a way, an extra way to connect with other people that didn't have anybody before when they were, you know, being by themselves. So it's interesting. I'm I'm glad to hear from your perspective that there is hope for it. Yeah, there is. Even, you know, you're always going to see on the news or social media, the worst of the worst, but I'm on the ground and yes, it's bad, but it is better. The fact that it's in the curriculum that kids feel free enough to speak about their feelings, man, that's huge. That's huge. And for people not to shut them down, but it's an expectation now that, that I can't wait to see in another 20 years, what these uh, pre-K children that I have the privilege of working with, who they're going to be. And I know that life is full of tragedy and hardship, but there's just so much good. Even though people say New York City is sinking because it's just, you know, <laughs> you know it's like, they're I like, know. oh, it's like, I mean, I read the news and I'm like, really? I mean, geez, they make it seem like this is New Jack City right this now. Is they real. really do. It's like Sin like, City, right? Like some yes. crazy shit. Yeah. I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh, come on now. Like, no, it's bad, <laughs> but it's not worse than what it was. I I mean, I, I, I live here, okay? It's, it's bad, but it's not that bad I can sincerely say and I'm in the schools and yeah. I see what's up and I see the, the the quality of care that administration and teachers they're giving to the schools to the children to the parents it's not perfect because we're imperfect right. however be hopeful be just be aware aware that things things I believe are going in the right direction it's going to be slow but we're getting there so I think that if yeah children are lucky enough to have like-minded educators like yourself then that is going to be exactly the push that this world needs to continue in that direction because you see so many times you have some that just you're like how are you a teacher Mm -hmm. oh yeah how are you in the school How, how could you possibly have done this like go be Go be if go dig go dig out the garbage somewhere. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, do something else. Doing. Do something else. You know. I and- have literally told teachers that. I have literally said <laughs> to them, "Listen, I don't think this is working out." Yeah, I, yeah. You, you gotta I have think- a temperament and a and a and a yeah a personality. It's not something I have. I I don't mind kids. I don't mind doing stuff with kids. I don't mind whatever my own kids, but I don't have the temperament or the emotional ability. I feel or the mental stability. <laughs> to do that job and not constantly take it home and not feel like if someone else's kid is acting crazy me to be like and I worked in a daycare with babies and I was fine give me a baby any day I was fine they start to get bigger and start to talk (laughs) now you're pushing it with me you know now I'm like now we get a little crazy but my love we are basically the end of our show wow this wasn't as as scary as I thought it would be no and I am so glad I'm so blessed that you came on I really am I know we talked about it for a really long time and then we finally got together to do this so would you do at some point another episode with me if you wanted you know if you I definitely I definitely would this was fun and and thank you for giving me allowing me to speak freely and giving me the platform to have a conversation with the audience about mental health education our personal lives, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And for those of you listening in other parts of the world, <laughs> hello, hello. <from> Bronx <laughs> NYC here, Teresa from New Jersey. <laughs> My God, they probably hear the accent. It's so funny. 
exactly. <laughs> Think about that. The accents. It's really, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, being able to share this experience that I have with people that I love and respect is such a blessing for me. Yeah, because- this has been cool. This is this is what it's about. We're building that community. We're we're ha- we're holding space, not just for one another, but for the people out there, you guys in the ethers. That's right. And you guys, you heard it there. That is the perfect way to end this episode. We're holding yeah. space for all the people in the ethers. <laughs> if in I got that right. That's right. That's right. So like I say, every time, guys, if you would like to be a part of a future episode, be on a future episode, have any ideas for a future episode or something you'd like to hear talked about, please feel free to email me at ProseccoQueensPodcast at gmail.com or DM me on IG at ProseccoQueensPodcast. We are on YouTube at ProseccoQueensPodcast and newly on Pinterest at ProseccoQueensPodcast. So you can hit me up on so many different um, platforms. We are on all the podcast platforms as well. And again, my love to you, Raquel, as always. Thank you. And to our audience, much love. Prosecco Queens. See you later. Bye. Please note that even if you feel alone, you are never alone in your struggles. If you're feeling overwhelmed or in crisis, please remember that help is available. Please call 988 to reach a trained professional on the National Suicide Prevention Line who can provide guidance and support. Reach out because you deserve the support and assistance that can make all the difference.